message today is entitled The Father Connection. There's something missing in the world today, but it's far deeper than most realize. For those of us who have found the love and acceptance and salvation through Jesus, it's hard to understand how so many people still refuse to accept Him and His message. Yet this rejection is not just an occurrence in the 21st century. The same refusal started way back when Jesus first came to earth to the very people who were supposedly expecting Him. John 1, verse 10 and 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Why did the world not know Jesus? Why did the people to whom He came not receive Him? I'll tell you, it's because they were looking for someone to save them based on their terms, on what they thought they needed, instead of being based on what God had said. To see where they strayed, we need to examine the Old Testament, and we must start beginning at the garden. That's why we just sang about the garden. You see, the defining perspective on whether or not people will recognize and accept Jesus as their Messiah is based on how one answers the following question. What was the greatest thing lost in the garden? Now, many people have different answers for this. I want to explore some of these today. Some say that man's authority to rule the earth was the greatest casualty in the garden. Because God passed the authority on to Adam to have dominion over the whole earth. But by sinning, Adam turned over his God-given authority to the devil. Thus, the devil would now be considered the prince of the world. Ephesians 2, verse 2, says, Those who do not know Jesus walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Those that believe authority was the main thing lost in the garden have been and still are looking for the Messiah to come in the full authority to trounce the government of this world and to bring in a law that allows no room for violators and unbelievers to wiggle out of. Therefore, when Moses received the law from God and gave it to the Israelites, those seeking a rebirth of authority fell more in love with the law than with God Himself. The offspring of this Spirit became the Pharisees who learned and memorized every bit of the law so that they governed with their minds instead of their hearts. We still see this Spirit operating in governing structures today. For the Pharisees, there is no room for love in their life. So when Jesus came as the picture of love, they saw Him as a threat to their security and their regulations. And thus they did not re realize that God had actually come to them. John 1.17 For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus' message of grace for the imperfect but humble did not fit into their paradigm. And so rather than welcoming in their prophesied Messiah, they judged Him and condemned Him to die because He was a threat to their power. 
Yet the pharisaical spirit is still alive today. For many still are very judgmental and condemning of the true Christian message of Jesus. Thus many today still do not know Him or are able to receive Him. Now others say that it wasn't the authority, wasn't the main thing. Others say the main thing lost in the garden was freedom. Adam and Eve were allowed to go wherever they wanted. In fact, they had only one law that they couldn't break, which was they couldn't eat of a certain tree. Consequently, when they both broke this command, they were kicked out of the garden and lost this freedom that God had given them. People who see freedom as the main thing lost have been and still are looking for freedom. Or a Messiah who would break the shackles of rule and law, allowing everyone to live as they please. Freedom seekers sought a Messiah that would abolish the law and allow people to live in love and grace and peace. What's wrong with this picture? This is not the exclusive message that Jesus brought. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. This certainly couldn't be the Messiah or Savior for those only looking for freedom from the law. Therefore, they rejected His message and followed after their own hearts instead. The offspring of this self-indulging spirit has only increased as time has gone on. In fact, this message has even crept into churches and pulpits, preaching a message of all grace and no law, stating that once people accept Jesus, they can live freely because God forgives everyone of all their sins, whether they repent or not. That message is out there in churches today. There was a pastor a while back who wrote a book called Everyone Wins, or called Love Wins. And his premise of the book was, that God is good and in the end His love is going to win so that no matter what you did, no matter if you rejected Him or followed Him, no matter what you did, God is going to forgive everyone in the end so you can live however you want as it is. That message went to thousands and thousands of people. That's not, it's not the message that's preached in the Bible. There are preachers today who tell you that there's no hell or there's no eternal judgment of those who reject Jesus and refuse to repent and follow Him. Not only are these teachings contrary to the teachings of Jesus, we are warned explicitly about the rise of this self-indulgence. This is not often preached about today, but it's in our Bible. Notice how dead-on these Scriptures are to the current climate of today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. 
It's happening in the world today. People are still rejecting Jesus and creating their own aspects of religion. All because they have misread what was the main thing lost in the garden. Well, if it wasn't authority or freedom that were the main casualties, what could it be? Perhaps unlimited access to pure resources. Some believed and still believe that the purity of all things was the greatest casualty in the garden that was lost. They believed that pure fruit and plants and animals and people should be the driving force of life. Many back then became lovers of nature. And thus they grew tired waiting for the Messiah to restore all things to its to their pristine state. They developed and started to pray to their own gods of nature, thus violating the first two commandments of God. Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before Me. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Yet many people left the teachings of God to pursue their own beliefs in the gods of nature. As many new religions were born in worshiping nature and the environment. Teachings, teachings became perverted quickly as people turned their allegiance to nature instead of to the one true God in heaven. Of course, none of this escaped God's notice. Jeremiah, who was a great prophet of God, who God spoke to the prophets to share truth of the world, Jeremiah 2.26, says, As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, saying to a tree, You are my father, and to a stone, You gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. Verse 28, But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise, if they can save you in your time of trouble. For according to the number of your cities and your God are your gods, O Judah. See, therefore, when Jesus was born and took His time to begin His earthly ministry in the fullness of time and did not immediately set out to restore the nature of all things, he was rejected by those who thought nature was more important than people. For they were looking to nature for their God to arise. Does that sound far-fetched to you? It shouldn't. Because there are millions of people in the world today who are more, more focused on saving the environment than on saving souls. I'm not saying it's not important, but saving souls is the most important thing that God has commissioned us to do. These three camps are pitted against one another today on the showcase for the world, fighting for more authority or more freedom or for a better, pure environment. And, all, and although all things were indeed lost in the garden, none of them was the greatest casualty of the garden. So what is the correct answer? What is the main thing that was lost in the garden? And by acknowledging this loss, how do we put ourselves in the best place to know Jesus and to truly receive Him in all His fullness? 
If you examine the Scriptures in their entirety, you will find a common message that winds through every book of the Bible. The greatest casualty in the garden was the perfect relationship with God. In the garden, God created man and woman and gave them responsibilities and instructions to prosper. He also walked with them and talked with them like we sang about today. Genesis 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There was nothing that kept them from His presence. Nothing that is until they sinned. Then sin abruptly halted the closeness of their relationship. God was forced to kick them out of Eden and to remove them from His presence. And yet, selfishly, we only look at it from our perspective. Selfishly, when we talk about the happenings in the garden, we only mention the fall of man or the consequences of sin for Adam and Eve and their offspring. But I ask you today, what about God? What did God lose? How was God affected at the garden? God lost the feeling of having His children daily in His presence. As we commemorate Father's Day today and are mindful of our children and just the gift of having them in our presence, we know how special it is to us. How much more special is it to God? The feeling of knowing His his children were right there every day in His presence. That's what He lost. Now He would have to separate Himself from them. Adam and Eve lost the father connection. And now he and now they would have to rediscover how to relate to God from afar. Surely he would guide them and make plans for them. And surely he would speak to them and teach them, but it would be different now. He would see the mistakes that they would make outside of his presence. He would see them and their offspring stumble and get hurt and get wounded. We know what that's like when your, your children are with you growing up and then they, they spend time away and you see them falter. Remember, God is our Father, not just a heavenly being. He understands all that we go through and yet God went through all of that. In fact, He would see in many of His children their propensity to start to follow another father. This false father would daily throughout time steal away God's children. And God would look on as they would fall into His deceptive and destructive lies. Jesus addressed this very point to those who had clung to the ways of their substitute father. John 8.44 Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Yet now that sin was in the works, God would see all his children being tempted to follow this father of the lies, to feed their flesh and to feed their desires instead of to feed their spirit and come back to their true father. Therefore, God would call His children to Himself. Some responded. Yet even those who responded would still wander and falter. God would patiently teach them through their trials and affliction how to keep their faith in Him. 
It would only be by His ability not to just lead them, but to father them that they actually made it into the promised land where they could more easily live the life that God intended them to live. Yet with the victories and the blessings, many of His children still forgot that it was God their Father who gave them the blessings. Thus their selfish pride made them unwise and caused them to leave or to turn away from God their Father. Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father who bought you? Has He not made you and established you? Verse 18, Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. You see, the further we get away from the garden, the more we forget that great casualty of the garden. Not just what we had, but that connection, that father connection. That God is not just a being that we pray to, but He is our Father. His children had turned away from their one true Father. They hadn't even realized the most important thing lost in the garden was their Father connection to God. As time went on, God longed for a place in their presence. Finally, a true son named David responded to the call of his heavenly Father and desired to bring his presence near once again. God would use this father-son connection of David and Solomon to build a house or a temple for God's presence and His name. 2 Samuel 7, verse 13, He shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be His Father and He shall be My Son. If He commits iniquity, I will chasten Him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. See, God declares how He will continue to teach Solomon by instructing and chastening and guiding him to keep him on the path that leads to a continual honoring of his Father. And while the glory of the Lord shone in this magnificent temple that Solomon had built for God, it wouldn't be long before people would forget that their true Father once again would follow in the paths of evil. Time and time again, several successive kings fell into this pattern. If you've read through the Old Testament, you'll see the same phrase again and again. 2 Kings 23, verse 31. Speaking of the kings. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. You see, by their earthly father's example, kings would continue to follow a path of destruction until there was no recognition of God as their father. Because of the prevalence of sin, most of them only turned to God when they wanted power, authority, freedom, or resources. And so God pleaded through the prophets for His children to return to Him. Jeremiah 3, verse 4, Will you not from this time cry to Me, My Father, You are the guide of My youth. God continued to speak that message to them that He was their true Father. But they did not recognize His voice and ignored the message. Malachi 1.6 A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the Father, where is my honor? And if I am the Master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. See, God was about to bring a famine across the world 
But this would not be an ordinary famine of food. It would be a famine from hearing the Word of the Lord. There would be 400 years where God would go silent and no longer speak through prophets. But before He stopped speaking to His prophets, He reiterated the core of His message one last time. In the last words, He spoke to the prophet Malachi. Does anybody know the final message in the Old Testament before this famine began? Have you ever noticed the significance that it holds? It's in the last book of the Old Testament called Malachi. The last chapter, chapter 4, starting at verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. See, the last message from God before He went silent was to restore the father-child connection. It was only those who were yearning for the heart of their heavenly Father who were able to see and receive the next move of God. With this message clearly in mind, we can see why and how God would announce Jesus. Matthew 3, verse 16. When Jesus had been baptized, He came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon Him. And suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus would not come as a messenger. He would not come as a prophet. He would not come as a great man of God. He would come as a Son of God. It would be this connection that God would stick with in calling His children back to Himself. In fact, He would emphasize it again when He honored Jesus before His friends at the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17.5 While He was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. See, God reiterated this connection before He spoke anything else. Hear Him. He is My Son. Thus, people who realized the connection that was lost in the garden, those who were longing for the love of their Heavenly Father, they recognized and received Jesus, the Son of God. But the great news is that sonship was not reserved for Jesus alone. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God chose you to be His children. When we acknowledge Him and turn from our sins and ask Him to come live in our hearts and give us a new life, we experience a spiritual rebirth. It is by the Spirit of God that we see and acknowledge and follow God as our eternal Father. Romans 8, starting at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, of whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen, this connection may have been severed long ago in the garden, but because of the perfect love of God who persevered and never gave up to restore His children to Himself, we have the blessings of living forever in the presence of our Heavenly Father and our entire family of God. We are not simply His creations. When we come to God, we are His children. That is a great blessing. That's what's missing in the world today. Thinking that we can be like God, that we can create things like God, and yet we can never create that connection. We can only return to our Father with His arms open wide for us. It is the Father connection that your spirit yearns continually for in all its fullness. It is the answer that the world is looking for today. Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your love never gave up on us. That You have been faithful even when we have been unfaithful. We pray that You would get our minds focused and our hearts focused on You. Forgive us for drifting away, for trying to chase things of this world. We return to You, Father, and we love You and we show that Your love to us by worshiping You this day. Bring our hearts close to You, God. Let us know Your love. In Jesus' name.